This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we're actually going to be talking about Workforce Logic's 2020 Diversity Benchmark Report. Um, and I, I can't wait, actually, because I know the guest uh, and have known the guest for a decade-ish, uh, lightly, I would say. Uh, we, we've crossed paths, and, and uh, we, we just, in the, in, the, in the green room, we just kind of, or backstage, we just kind of talked a little bit about some of our interactions. So this is going to be a fun, uh, a fun podcast. Uh, I'm excited to learn. So, Christy, would you do me a favor and the audience a favor and introduce both yourself and Workforce Logic? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm Christy Petroso. I'm the chief data scientist and talent economist uh, here at Workforce Logic. Uh, I'm helping to kind of develop and deliver the technology and insights that fuels uh, a large portion of our services. So um, Workforce Logic is a global company. Um, they pride themselves on providing predictive workforce intelligence, technology, and services um, to really help their clients have a competitive edge in finding that talent that they need to grow their business. So the 2020 Diversity Benchmark Report, when did you, when did you start it? And kind of when, what was the data collection process for you? Sure, yeah. So, you know, in some ways, <laughs> we've been working on this for years. Uh, but, you know, I think... Um, as far as you know, what we actually did for this particular report, um, we, we definitely, you know, with everything that's going on in the market right now and um, the tone of the market and the, I think everybody's eyes are wide open to the fact that there needs to be a focus on diversity and inclusion um, in the workplace um, and, and everywhere. But uh, so, you know, I think over the last couple of months, um, we put a really uh, heated effort into, um, creating a, a more robust report. You know, we've had some of the functionality in our platform and um, that, you know, our customers could leverage. And, and we thought that it would be really beneficial to take all of this information, create a more formal report out of it and, and allow everyone to have a kind of a benchmark to see kind of what's going on um, in the marketplace as a whole. And, okay, so let's, let's just talk top shelf. What were some of the things that you learned that you were kind of surprised to learn? Yeah. So, you know, I think that's a really great question. I think, you know, to some extent, some of it wasn't as overwhelmingly surprising. Um, you know, some of it is very much like what you would expect. You know, women tend to be have, uh, overrepresented in things like nursing and healthcare. Um, in other cases, the kind of extreme nature um, of the diversity uh, was relatively surprising. So, you know, to see that in the airline industry, only about 5% of pilots are women. That's a very extreme. And, you know, you kind of probably had a gut feel, at least I had a gut feel that, you know, pilots tend to be men. Um, but to see such a large discrepancy um, it is one of the things that I find just overwhelmingly interesting is that it, you know, really being able to quantify 
um, how extreme or how um, some of the diversity or lack of diversity is. So, so okay. So the uh, first thing we'll start with with the report is uh, overview is the the geographic markets and in some of the job job functions that were either that you've seen either growth uh, disproportionately in a good way, <laughs> disproportionately in a bad way. But, uh, yeah. but, but I know people are going to wonder, okay, because because I'm going to want them to go download the report, uh, you know, once they hear the the podcast, so they can get the report and read it for themselves. But just as a as an overview. What did you see with markets and what have you seen with job functions? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, obviously the, the particular market um, varies depending on uh, the type of role that you're looking for. Um, so I, I want to go into a couple of specific examples about roles and markets. Um, but uh, just generally for a second, um, I want to step back and think about kind of, you know, what a challenging year this has been for everybody, you know, with the pandemic and some of the disruptions in the labor market and economy as a whole. Um, we've all kind of been talking about remote work and the fact that remote work is here is not a surprise to anybody anymore. <laughs> we've all been living it for uh, a large part of the year. Um, but I think that there's potentially a really, um, a really big benefit that's going to come out of this. Um, I think, you know, this forced shift to remote work, um, I think has allowed employers to see that their employees can be successful um, working remotely. And one of the big wins that I see coming out of this is the opportunities that it could open up in kind of more rural or remote areas where there might not have been as many opportunities in the past. Um, so I think it's really interesting to see, you know, you can now think for a lot of roles, um, not just about where your offices are, but where you could hire those people anywhere, um, which I think is just gonna be a huge win for the economy as a whole in the long term. Um, so the specific question at hand is like, what markets are good for these different roles? So looking at a couple of different high demand roles, so sales is really high demand, has been for a while. Um, looking at, our um, IQ location optimizer, which <laughs> is a tool that we have that helps people identify where to find those essential pools of talent quickly and cost effectively. It leverages information about jobs, skills, um, employer specific requirements, the um, market specific supply and demand, uh, salaries, how likely candidates are to open up to a job and, and all kinds of things. So we're taking all of this information, we're identifying those key markets. So if you were to say, hey, I'm looking for a sales development representative and you were just to look generally at the market, um, the best market to find a pool of this talent quickly and cost effectively would be um, Denver, Colorado. However, if you were to then say, I really wanna focus on diverse talent in uh, my sales development role, then you would actually want to focus not on Denver, but on San Jose, California, because that has one of the biggest pools of diverse talent in this area. So, you know, it's, there's a whole pool of talent out there <laughs> that we can go after. And then depending on the type of role and the skills that you need, um, we can kind of look across the U.S. to find that talent. 
So you brought up remote work, and um, and this is going to be in your next study, or at least you're going to go deeper into this in your in your next study. I know this. How do you think remote work uh, affects uh, diversity and inclusion? Well, diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, equality. But 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 how do you how do you think it in a good way and in a bad way? Like, yeah. like you know what I mean? Like, what what do you and because you might not be sitting on the data right now, but but in sure. your next report you might be. Yeah. <laughs> because we're all forced to work from home, um, you might have more data uh, there. But like, what do you what do you just perceive as some of uh, of the, either the good things that come from remote work, from a diversity, and some of the, maybe the bad things. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So let's let's hypothesize on this one a little bit. Yes. But uh, as I said, you know, I do think that this opportunity uh, it really opens up those opportunities in kind of more rural areas. So you know, I'm in South Carolina, and I think about some of the smaller towns in South Carolina that have, um, you know, large large populations of black people that may not you know, have a limited um, economy in their area, but now they have the option to work for um, lots of big name companies and sales roles and software engineering roles without having to leave their roots in their hometown and, you know, enjoy the benefits of both worlds. And I think that's going to be a really huge dynamic shift. Um, I also think that it gives people the opportunity to learn to connect. I think, you know, we've always struggled, um, you know, when you're siloed in your work, um, it can be a challenge sometimes to kind of meet people. And I think that, so one of the challenges with remote work is that you might not get to know the people that you work with as much as you might in that office workspace. So I think that's going to be one of the challenges is really helping people to connect with their colleagues and their fellow work workers and build those relationships that are so vital to um, being productive as a team and working together. Yeah, it's, it's almost like we're going to have to reformat the way we think about culture. Yeah. You know, because culture for so long, maybe, uh, maybe uh, since the history of work, uh, has been tethered to a location. Yes. And if you're not tethered to the location, if you never go to the location, I could take a job in Paris and I'd mm-hmm. never go to the office. Culture, like what is that definition of culture now? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, so something I've been struggling with, not, it, it relates to the pay equity gap. Uh, and I've been trying to figure it out in my mind, trying to figure out like, okay, how do, you, how do we actually get to a point where, okay, there isn't a pay equity gap. So like so it's zero pay equity gap, okay. Um, and one of the things I think about with remote work is what it's done is, uh, well, and again, this is to be, to be proven, but mm-hmm. what I think it's done is it's take, taken cost of living out of the equation of pay. And mm-hmm. let me let me explain my hypothesis and then tear it apart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so let's say you're a software engineer, mm-hmm. a front end developer. That's yeah. a three hundred thousand dollar job. If you were in San Francisco or if you were in Silicon Valley, that's a four hundred eighty thousand dollar job. And if you were living in Fort Worth, Texas, that's probably a hundred ninety thousand dollar job. Mm-hmm. But it's just the job the work, the outputs. So where you choose to do that work is your choice. Yep. So one way we could get to more equitable position is we just say the job is dot, Mm -hmm. dot, dot, this amount of money. 
you choose to live wherever you want to choose to live. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, I mean, I know there's problems with that, of course. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think this is a really interesting question. And I have thought about this a little bit, not a ton, but I have thought about this a little bit. I believe one of the big tech companies, and I can't remember which one now, um, when they announced, you know, that they were going to be um, primarily remote uh, indefinitely, uh, I believe that they did make a caveat that if you moved out of Silicon Valley, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there would likely be a pay adjustment. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, obviously you're creating the same value uh-huh. um, regardless of where you're located and how you're doing it. Um, and, and so thinking about will we be driven to more of a value-based um, you know, pay, which I think could be really great. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens to those markets that, uh, you know, like San Francisco, where the cost of living is so high. Um, What will the outcome be there? Will people, you know, try to move out of the city? Um, I think it's going to be a huge economic shift. um, And there's a a lot of different things that could influence or impact um, how that really turns out. You know, I think, and this is something that the women actually primarily have argued uh, for years. The the work is the work, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the bid yeah. is. If you're in sales and it's a five million dollar quota, five million dollar quota in Topeka, five million dollar to you know quota in Manhattan, still right. a five million dollar quota. Right, you know, like you're still carrying a bag. You still you have to hit your targets. You still have to do the outcome. So why is the pay different? And I, yeah. I know historically why the pays do it. I mean, I get, I do understand right. that. But it's like, like they're, that technology company that uses the example, they're going to now create an inequity. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're going to purposely create an equity because they're going to say, well, you're moving, and so you're going to make less money. Well, it's like, well, wait a minute. I'm doing the same job. Yeah. yeah. My, job, a- my job hasn't changed. Exactly. It's a really interesting problem to, to have. Um, and it will be interesting to see how it pans out. And, you know, is there a value to the company of having you, even if you're going to be remote, is there a value to having you quote unquote near remote where um, you could come to the office for meetings or events or, you know, those types of things. Um, yeah, and, agreed. Um, so are they willing to pay a premium to have you uh-huh. close to the office or not? Uh, I don't, it, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's, I, it's really going to remote be work, <laughs> remote work. I can't wait to see your next report, but, but, but remote work, it's just, there's going to be so many tentacles of what it's affected because we've learned so much about ourselves and about how yeah. we work. Um, let's get back to the report for just a second. What, sure. cause I love it when you do research. Um, there's always the, when you go into research, there's always an idea of what you think you're going to find out. Uh, so you validate some of the things that you already kind of thought you, you already knew. But you're always, or at least I have been when I've done it, you're always kind of shocked or surprised by something. There's always something that comes out of left field like, huh, what? Yeah. Uh, did you have any of those type of moments when you, as you did the research? Yeah, I think, you know, I think I was, you know, somewhat surprised at how, you know, within um, science and engineering and um, how, they were rated as some of the most diverse. Um, And I think that to some extent there's, uh, you know, we've had a huge focus over the last 10, 15 
years on STEM and really trying to make sure that children um, from all backgrounds, um, men, women, all ethnicities are kind of exposed to the possibilities of careers in these STEM fields at a much younger age, right? And so we're really, I think we're really starting to see some of the fruit from um, those seeds that were planted and, and continuing to see that grow. And I think that's really exciting. Oh, I love that. And I would be shocked by that as well, just to be able to, see, first of all, I would still think that it would be predominantly, you know, pear-shaped white guys. But the fact, the, the fact that it's not is yeah. is actually uh, um, I mean that's that's actually fantastic. Yeah. Um, so so as you as you did the 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 insights that you learn, what is it? What do you think that it means for you as employers? So now once they take this report, which by the way, where where is the report located? Yeah, that's great. Um, you can find it on our website, and um, I can make sure that you have a link. Uh, sure. directly for that if if that works for you um, but it's absolutely available on the workforce logic webpage um, in our uh, resources and so in our logs and resources so I'll, I'll make sure you have a link for that good good um, and so what do you when when people download it what do you you know I mean obviously they're going to tool through the whole thing but what do you want them to the main takeaways what do you want them to learn from the report yeah so I think you know I think it is to some extent that you know boosting diversity isn't always you know the same in every role right so if you want to increase the diversity in your nursing program or in you know the with the nurses in your hospital, you probably need to focus on men right if you want to focus on diversity in uh i t you know it is focusing potentially on women. And I think, so it's, it's a matter of understanding what the landscape looks like um, and being able to benchmark kind of against what's going on um, in the industry, in the nation, um, and being able to see how you stack up. So I really think that there's a huge value in being able to kind of measure um, what's going on. It's really hard to improve something if you don't know um, how you're performing, right? And so being able to have um, something to compare yourself to um, and understand where those markets are um, that you can target and really being able to, um, you know, get this in a, in a more automated way. Uh, a lot of times it's very manual, it's very time consuming, it's very ineffective. So um, being able to kind of see what that looks like um, it, it, you know, without having to pull together all those different resources. I love that. I love that. Have you been, have you been pushed, even, even pushed yourself into think about diversity differently? I mean, we've, we've been, we've been taught to think about diversity and kind of race, gender, sexual orientation, yeah. you know, clock, clock, clock. Um, I, like, diversity of thought, diversity of upbringing, mm -hmm. schools attended, you know, EQ, yeah. IQ, like all the different, like thousands of different ways that one can think about diversity. Has, has your audience pushed you to think about that differently or have you thought, yeah. pushed yourself to think about diversity differently? These are great questions and these are definitely conversations that we've been having um, and thinking about all the different types of diversity that there are and what does it mean to be diverse? And, and to your point, um, pulling people in from different backgrounds, um, regardless of what that background is, bringing in different perspectives um, really helps everybody. Like th there's, a, there's a 
very strong evidence from lots of different studies that, um, you know, having that diverse culture and that inclusive culture, you know, helps with employee retention. It helps um, employee productivity, right? It helps people work together better and find more innovative solutions. Um, and, and so, you know, we do tend to think of these more typical buckets but it's not just these tangible things um, that are important. It is, you know, it's having all of those different backgrounds and perspectives um, that can really bring a huge benefit to your organization. Right. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's, it's one of those deals as you do a benchmark report each year, you kind of grow it and you start thinking mm -hmm. and learning new things. So um, I can't wait to see next year's report, by the way. Um, yeah. And you're sparking some great ideas. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Um, AI, obviously, it's on top of uh, everyone's mind, all the practitioners, TA and, and HR. How do you, what do you think the intersection points of, of AI and diversity and inclusion are? And what should practitioners, what should they think about the two and how should they bring them together in their minds? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really great question. Um, and I think that, you know, it comes back to that whole, you know, one of the reasons that we are building these algorithms and we are helping, you know, to try to identify um, these pools of talent um, is that it's hard to, again, it's hard to improve what you can't measure. And so mm. being able to create these insights allows that um, measurement. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, leveraging these tools that, you know, do this AI can really help make you more efficient um, when, because when, you know, working on diversity and inclusion in a vacuum, it, it doesn't work. When you don't know how well you're doing, it's so hard to actually kind of improve and change that. And so by being able to kind of get and identify those diverse candidates at the top of your pipeline um, and know where to target them and know where to find them, um, you know, is really going to have the biggest impact on being able to generate the diverse culture in your organization. Um, it really starts with the recruiting and targeting those people um, at the top of the pipeline, bringing them into um, that process from the get-go um, so that the, the right candidates will show up there at the bottom when you go to hire. Um, and so this predictive uh, technology can really help organizations to build those pipelines that um, are targeted and can help to bring in more of those underrepresented candidates. Um, and then as well, you know, again, comparing themselves and being able to measure, because if you don't know where those gaps are, you don't know where to focus. So being able to identify those gaps um, really enables you to focus your efforts and be efficient in improving the diversity in your organization. Love that. So let's go into uh, two questions left, a little bit into how the sausage is made. So as a data scientist, <laughs> <laughs> what's the largest challenge when you take on a, on a project like this? Yeah. What, um, what, do, what do you find the most difficult? Because <laughs> there's a report at the end that no one knows that it took, you know, 1600 yeah. hours and they don't know all the yeah. data collection. They don't understand, you know, like no one really knows all of that. Well, very few people understand <laughs> the pain. Uh, yes. I've, I've been in that pain before, so I understand yeah. it a little bit. But, yeah. I, but from, 
but from your perspective, a data scientist, you, you're taking on a, a huge research initiative. What, what do you yep. find the most challenging when you, when you face something like this? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you've hit on a, a really important fact is people think that you, you just pour all the data in and these magic <laughs> algorithms shake out the answer, right? And um, <laughs> unfortunately, <No. laughs> that is not the way it works. You know, 80% of data science is, uh, is cleaning and, you know, gathering, cleaning, and understanding the data that you're using. Um, so, it, you know, data is messy. Most data is generated by, by humans. Yep. <laughs> and, and humans are far from perfect. And um, so, you know, the data is, can be a little bit of a beast, especially when you're evaluating, you know, we have, we're tracking over 100 million working professionals um, in the U.S. and Canada. And we are gathering information from t lots of different sources, different publicly available, you know, profiles and, and being able to tie all that information together and identify that, you know, these people are the same people as these people over here and they're tied to this organization that is also this organization over here and being able to bring all those pieces together. Um, and so there's a huge layer of complexity and just being able to clean the data so that you have reliable data to work with. Um, and then, you know, being able to build those models and those algorithms on top of that data. Um, yeah, I've always always found the uh, the storytelling the most fun. Uh, yes. uh, you know, after, after you get to after you get the data clean, which by the way is moving mountains. Uh, once you get to a place where you can kind of start to see what it, the data is telling you, I the fun for me was always after all of that <laughs> but was then telling the stories like okay here's some themes here's some story arcs here's some of the things that, that people are really going to find interesting uh here's yes. some people are going to find you know maybe disturbing or surprising or whatever um last question is you know before you know people are going to come in and, and download the report and they're going to get out of it what they need to get out of it but what do you what do you what do you hope when someone downloads the report what do you hope they get out of it yeah, you know, that's a great question. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that I really want people to get out of the report is the fact that, you know, is hopefully that they reflect on their organization and that this makes them think about the different areas of their organization and where they can have those biggest impacts and that they can see, you know, that it's not just, um, the organization as a whole that you need to think about, you need to think about all the different levels of the organization. Um, is there diversity not only in your talent that's, you know, building your product, but is there diversity among the managers, the directors, the, the executive suite? Um, and hopefully um, it gives them the opportunity to really understand um, some of those different layers and dynamics um, of diversity and how that fits in um, to their company and, and the market as a whole. I love it. Thank you so much. I know you're busy and I appreciate yeah. you. And uh, this has just been a wonderful podcast. And I can't wait for people to, uh, to go to the website and download the report. So well, thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.